Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sam Portland podcast. Today I'm with Max Honigsbaum, which he's just taught me how to pronounce that because <laughs> I'm, I'm dyslexic and phonics uh, are terrible for me. So, but welcome back to another episode. Um, just a couple of things before we start. If you're listening to this now, then you know that the Legacy Showcase is happening August 5th. Get a ticket. You'll get my book and you'll enjoy a day which is made for coaches coaching on the ground, exactly like Max, exactly like you listening, the opportunity to get on stage, tell your story and actually share some worthwhile information rather than all those fucking idiots that just keep saying the same things. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Max. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome, mate. You're welcome. And Max is a strength and conditioning coach. He works at Google, works with... um, a rowing team who just won a ridiculous amount of titles this year. Um, but no one wants to know anything about what you do there. What they want to know is how you got there. So what's your story, mate? Yeah, sorry. So went to um, Oxford Brooks to do sports science undergrad. Kind of early on, I knew I wanted to go down two routes. Either physiotherapy seemed interesting to me or strength conditioning. Those are like two I kind of had bookmarked out. And just off the bat, was trying to get involved with as many internships as I could. So I probably did three when I was at Oxford, um, one at Oxford University Rugby Club with a coach there called Cy Wiggle, who I'm still mates with. Um, I know Cy. You know, yeah, a, I know you know Cy. He's a legend, mate. He's a legend. He's a legend. And, yeah. and we, we were mates all throughout, as like from being an intern for him and uh, then like eventually like working alongside him at different venues and stuff. So he was great to have because he just straight away rocked up, didn't know how to like coach really, just like the gym. And he's like, oh, you're, you're warming up the first team. And I was like, fuck. Um, but was grateful because I got thrown in the deep end, learned a lot there. Interned at Oxford Brooks itself where I was studying. And yeah. the City of Oxford Swimming Club where I got to be mentored by an uh, EIS coach called Michael Peacock, who was really great for my development at a young age. Um, did those internships and then kind of went back to London after graduating, trying to get into CrossFit gyms because I just thought, where can I get experience coaching and Olympic lifting and powerlifting and was mm. going down that route to just be kind of like a PT in London um, and then got the call up from John Harmon, who was the head of SNC at Brooks and got an assistant role, which I know in essence is quite rare to like graduate and then get a role where, you know, I was earning enough to just make it by in Oxford um, doing some other bits and bobs, which yeah. was really good. Um, so I had that like multi-sport setting um, at Oxford Brooks, thought I'd work for a year there. And then if I wanted to go do a master's, I would either do it in physio or SNC, depending on how much I liked SNC. That year doing the assistant role of Brooks, loved all of it, was working a lot, but just hungry to get paid experience. So I was doing assistant work for Brooks and some evenings doing work um, at the swimming club, Uh City of Oxford Swimming Club um, under under Michael Peacock. And after a couple months of that, it did get too much. I I quit the City of of Oxford Swimming Club role because I just wanted to put more of my energy into actually being able to coach at Brooks and was probably fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time. When the head of SNC left Brooks, the next best candidate was more into getting into lecturing, Luke Taylor. Um, Ah. So he then was like, yeah, I don't want to do that role. I'm going to be a lecturer and like a part-time SNC coach. So I was, I was in the right place at the right time. At quite a young age, stepped into the lead role at Brooks and was running that department for, for three years. Um, got to work with some really good male and female rowers who, if you mm-hmm. don't know anything about rowing, Brooks are like one of the best clubs probably in the world at rowing. 
um, definitely in the UK. So got some taste of like really, you know, elite individuals in a sport that um, you don't hear loads about in SNC. And then yeah. also supporting multi-sport. And while doing those three years um, and finished actually this year, I had completed my master's at St. Mary's in SNC. Very busy then. Busy, yeah. And that now that that's now all that education stopped. And now I'm just glad to kind of do more uh, perfect, like applied development, like being a part of the legacy group where I think yeah. you can actually learn more things that are going to help you rather than just learn more of the technical side. Yeah, I, yeah. There's this whole bit that I could go on versus structured versus unstructured learning um, and employability, but I'll save that for another time. Um, <laughs> but that's a, that's a hell of an upbringing and that's a great, um, great way to kind of show and a big part of this, like coaches like yourself telling that journey in, it's a hard work. There's you've there's a lot of hours there, and he, and and also having the self awareness to be like actually this this role is not helping me anymore. It's not giving me what I need in order to move forward. So I think that's really admirable. Um, but what about you as an athlete? Do you, you what did you do for sport growing up, and 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 what was that like for you? Yes, I was. Uh, I wasn't really like that, that multi sport. I got kind of got straight into swimming at a young age and was like, I'm I'm built for this. I'm, I'm, this is what I'm best at and really put a lot of eggs in that basket I got into it kind of late at like 11 to 12 years old which most people are competing when they're like five to and, and like 10 or 11 they're like they know their events so I got into it quite late was a sprint swimmer um for like 50 100 meters one time tried a 200 meter event and after six lengths I stopped and you've got to do eight lengths I was like this is too much counting for me so stuck with sprint swimming um that got me into like you know there's a lot of discipline involved with that loads yeah. of training um played rugby at an average level and I'd always just loved the training aspect I always got super mm. nervous when it came to competing for a swimming race or even rugby or I went to university played American football which I know you, you've gone into at the senior level I was playing at the uni level yeah. loved that that was a lot of fun um but again same thing like obviously game day was what got me hooked but I'd always get so nervous on game day I really just loved training um, yeah. I've always I've always loved the actual act of training rather than the act of competing, which is probably why I never got super high in athletics because a lot of athletes tend to be the opposite. But they love competing, they live for that, but they have a harder time, I think, going to the training sessions. But that is kind of what made me want to get into SC. But yeah, swimming was my main sport, um, and that's translated well to like my main hobby now, which we were just talking about being surfing. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely big background in swimming. But probably should have tried rowing, to be honest. I think I've got a good frame for that. But it's one of those sports you just don't get exposed to unless you're kind of at a certain school. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you are built for it. You are jacked. But like when I was watching the video, look at the slope on his shoulders. Like he could, <laughs> he could pull himself through a tsunami with that. So, yeah. So, no. But I, it's some people just that, like, they do get super super nervous for for game day and it's just it's just crippling it's almost like it takes the enjoyment out of actually doing it and and i and i do i think what you know for me and i'd be interested in your take of it sometimes the when players and athletes get nervous for game day it's not because they don't know that they're prepared to play it it's because of all the external things going on around them, the influence that they're put under on game day and the narrative around game day versus training. What do you think? I think that's accurate. Yeah, because if 
when, when I would normally perform my best if we would go to like the, you know, sevens or even tens tournaments yeah. where the, the, the games are quicker. There's not so much of a crowd coming just to watch one thing. You kind of get that repeated exposure of multiple games in a day. And I found I would perform really well then rather mm-hmm. than when it's like one big game. It's, it's a kickoff, especially when you're on the, like the first team at school, like everyone in the school is watching that external stuff would get in my head. And obviously once the second half, way better because you've relaxed into it. But I found that like I would do better on like mini tournament side of things rather than the actual yeah. act of like a big game day, everything building up to it. Yeah, I would just be like, you know, feeling queasy the whole time until I actually got involved and, and started going through it. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's fair. And I, also swimming. No, not for me. Not for me. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> like... I it was remember. tough at secondary school because you're just doing like two a days all the time before school and before school's like you're in the pool at five before 5 30 and then so you, your parents are waking up hella early you're waking up hella early to get there go to school come back you're in the pool again at 6 30 it's just a big grind and a lot of people drop out around that sixth form age where you, you suddenly want to socialize more your academics take more of a toll and unless it's going to take you to college um, which I knew I, I would I would have had to really sacrifice a lot of social and personal life to do that. I was like, mm. it's not worth it. Yeah, and your parents are like waking up at four a.m. Like, yeah, he's not a baby anymore. Why is he up at four? <laughs> <laughs> Teach your kid to swim, but don't make them do it because you're going to be driving them around basically and sleeping yeah. on on the poolside while they're training. They're like, I, I love my son. I do love my son. <laughs> We're definitely grateful to my dad for those early mornings. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Dad, well, fair play to you. I think there's a great athletic story behind every coach um, and a great experience that actually leads and f- helps form their own style as a coach. Um, and so how, you know, with that experience, have you ever considered how you take that into your approach of working with athletes? Um, I guess because you know after I stopped swimming got into the gym and just really fell in love with again I like training the process of training for sport love the process of just training in general and I mm-hmm. guess it's trying to be authentic in your sessions that you can like get people to love training as well that don't love it like for instance this year we had one of the rowers like a, a, an endurance like beast like if you know you've got some type two beast he was like a type one beast um, he he quit this year because he's he's doing like a medical degree. It's too much. But he he had said to me before we left, and this meant a lot, that he, he used to hate training, and that having worked with me for one season, he he found a love for for training in the gym. So Amazing. I think if you have that passion for an activity, and you get you you you're around people enough that it rubs off on them, I mm-hmm. think that's beneficial as well. Because you know, um, if you're working with a, a group, you've got limited time with them. If they start to get that passion, then you know they're going to stick to the plan you're giving them, even if they're only seeing you once a week and it's like a three-day-a-week plan or something like that. So I think having that natural passion, being yourself in the gym um, and creating an environment that's kind of like around, you know, centered around lifting, but not always just paying your hat in performance, congratulating people when they when they move well, when they're just, you know, doing a personal best for them and not just following around. Like, when you know, we were talking about the, the talk you did with Mike Ball, coaches that follow around the big dogs all the time yeah i always try and make an effort every session like i need to talk to everyone at least yeah. once even if it's just going up to someone that doesn't need any coaching that day and being like hey how you doing boom mm-hmm. move along all oh, that's good um so I, try, I think having that atmosphere that makes people want to lift and enjoy the enjoy the process of training um it's something i try and do in my sessions whether it's like how i design the sessions or just how i interact and and give people responsibilities 
Yeah, I think I think there's some real genius in that and coming up as well, because what's quite interesting from the amount of experience that you accrued whilst you were studying as well, I think has put you into having that perspective. I've met a lot of coaches that, for a better term, think the sunshine's out their ass when they've come out of degrees and qualifications and just expect people to do what they say. Yeah. And it's it's a hard road to ruin. That is because, you know, ultimately it's the analogy, it's the toddler in the back seat. That's the SNC coach. They can they can make the car, make or break the car journey, can't they? And yeah. And when you're, you know, when you're taking that view and I'm going somewhere with this, because I always used to, I worked for myself before working with the athletes and all those sorts of things. And I always, tr- I always treated an athlete like they were paying me rather than the club. And I wonder, because you do some wonderful work with the staff at Google, and I wonder how that is any different or how that actually helps with your athletes yeah so yeah that, that the, taking the role at google was kind of primarily around wanting to move back to london moving with my girlfriend personal life reasons and i'd never worked that much with general population had never done that much personal training so wasn't wasn't super excited about the role i was excited about working in the environment but i was like the, you know the people you're going to work with it's not going to be that challenging i don't know what i'll learn but mm. it kind of i think it kind of reinforces um Going back to basics, a lot of the time, it's the perfect population to run one by twenties with. You look at a lot of similar compensations that you see in athletes. You know, they're office workers, tight throughout their thoracic and hips and and ankles, etc. So there are things that you can you can draw on. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of like building that rapport with people here, that some some people that have been here a long time, they might look at you as a bit of like a commodity in terms of oh, we've got baristas, we've got food, we've got gym, we've got coaches. It's like something they're entitled to. And that is rare, I guess, to get those people that are a little bit douchey in that sense. Most of the time, everyone here is super nice. Um, you get a lot of regulars. If you, you know, I talk about having that um, effect on people where you make them want to lift, you get those people coming back to your sessions, which is fun because if you have someone coming twice a week for a year, mm. you know, that, that might be way more contact than you have with athletes you work with you can really start to push some individuals pretty hard um, yeah. and kind of tailor their training to advance that. Um, so definitely things that I've learned and, and it being attached to, to Exos yeah. being the company that employs us to run all the Google services is amazing opportunities to network and to travel to the States and kind of be a fly on the wall in some of those facilities and see how they uh, look at training general population like athletes, which is kind of what the whole Exos brand is built on. Yeah. Um, and you get people coming that have been like, yeah, like I've had personal training, I've tried CrossFit, never felt healthy. They come in, we deliver within the Exos system. So you kind of have to, you can have your own spin on things, your own coach philosophy, but it very much has to be within a certain um, system that Exos envisions people should train as. And people do start feeling better. Um, yeah. And you see the impact that, that this sort of training can have on, on someone that's never done proper training. They've just been put on barriers or F45 and are used to just beasting themselves rather than moving well and prioritizing that. Mm. Yeah. There's so much for anyone listening, like really think about when you've just talked to there, it's all about how you are creating 
a perspective between you and the the other person that's working in front of you and and the the relationship that you're forming there is huge i think it's like do you know what one of the best things that you could have is an athlete coming up to you and say do you know what because of you i like training now because yeah 100%. Not a lot of athletes do and then also someone who's high who works in a high pressure environment they're exactly this from a mental point they're exactly the same as players which is why i think general population gets a real bad rap um because a lot of times do you know what most rugby players or football players will go and do after training they'll go and what? sit on their ass for six hours yeah yeah <laughs> and, and and play computer games so it's like are they is it any different yeah uh, or do or, or they have they just been active for longer you know i'm playing with this it, here it, it, it. It is that it's just that they've trained more and they they can they're allowed to do more that they've got their potential to do more advanced things and then they've yeah. got a sport which is specific so you tailor train to that but earlier on it is exactly it's exactly the same like I run the one by twenty with the rowing club I run it with people here when they first join but what you were just talking about there this resume I can't remember where I first heard it but you're asking people to do you're asking people to do uncomfortable things when you're training someone. So they've got yeah. to be comfortable with you and trust yeah. you to actually do that. If you're asking them to push someone and they don't like you, they're not going to push very hard. But yeah. if they like you, they're comfortable with you, they know you, you know about them. If you say, hey, look, we're going to do this many reps at this weight, they're going to do it. They're going to probably exceed that expectation because they because you've got that um, core relationship with them. Yeah, again, it's gold dust, mate. It's gold dust. And, and that's stuff that you can't teach uh, in books. You know, people can talk about this. They'll talk about this sort of stuff, but whether coaches actually do it, and that's my big challenge for people, is that whole spiritual bypassing stuff. Like, look at look at how philosophical I am because I talk about being philosophical, not actually being embodying it and going through that. Um, it's a very common trend uh, in the global <laughs> narrative. But definitely, when, when you talked about. Um, when you talked about uh, they're using um, the Exos system, mm. uh, and I, you know I'm a big systems person because what they do is they produce behaviours, and you want to actually reduce friction because it's all about the relationship. Reduce the programming friction to then invest in the individual. But but what what are the things right? What are the things that when you first started going through the system? that you just didn't, you were like, nah, this doesn't have my juju on it. Yeah, there's there's probably a couple of things. One of the main ones, one of the big parts of their system, they, you know, they've got like ballistic training, plyometric strength. Rotation is it's like its whole own thing. Yeah. Um, and initially the way I had interpreted that before I went on any mentorship from, from online resources was it's kind of like that, that's how they train the core. They look mm. at training the core through rotation and anti-rotation. And quite a lot of these movements are so you're on one leg, you're doing like pulls and I was thinking, yep. you know, because of all this instability, you're probably not actually loading the, the tissues around the core that much. Mm. And also looking at the sport, I come in where rowing and core training and rowing is so important. And we really go after strengthening the core like any other muscle group. I was like, especially elite level individuals, which Exos got their name working with. I was like, yeah. I don't think that's going to be that good for training that, that those individuals for general population. You need quite a lot of upper body strength to do some of these movements and to then actually feel it in your core. Yeah. like a pallet fold or, or a chop and things like that if you're not strong you're not going to be able to have enough weight to challenge the course so i was like 
kind of like threw out the window initially going on some of the mentorships that they i don't know if they changed the way they categorized that or the justification for it but it was more through the lens of um like coordination uh-huh. and something they term calling and uncalling so it's like going from loading into internal rotation to external rotation so like through med ball work or lots of ladder work yeah um and i i do see the benefit of that yeah yeah um in terms of getting the bodies like work together and not be so isolated and the and so I, I appreciate that more, but initially, and and still, if, if that's used as core training, I feel like you're much better off going back to basics and just getting strong through your core, learning how to like uh, you know contract different parts. Because a lot of the time, people here don't know how to tense certain parts of their body. Like the physical literacy of some of the general population, Google is just so low. And yeah. coming from a background working with sports people, even like you know quite a lot of low-level sports people, they still move their body and they, and they pick up on things quicker. So that's one barrier. Um, and then another thing to do with the exosystem is they will not like to overload the same pants. So like they would rarely have um, generally like a big bilateral push. And then the other secondary exercise for lower body wouldn't be a bilateral push that, or bilateral movement that day at all. It would be yeah. like a single leg hinge. And then if you had, if you had a, a bench press, you would have to have a single arm pull later on in the day just to balance everything out. And that's a fine way to train. But, you know, if, if you talk about the one by 20 system where you're training everything at once, um, you're doing lots of bilateral hinging and pushing and bilateral pushing and, uh, and pulling, et cetera. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, a beneficial thing because, you know, the load people are pushing early on is low. It gets them to learn these big compound movements, which are going to translate. But on mm-hmm. the exercise of things, they, they argued when I kind of challenged this on mentorships, that oh no that would be too much load if you had a back squat and then an rdl on the same session it would just be too much load for someone to handle mm. um, and i was like okay definitely elite athletes can handle that and yeah. general population can handle that like it just seems like that, that that's something that's been built in that doesn't have a lot of room for um to, to like flex on i don't know if it's because mm. it's been delivered in an educational setting that they were sticking to their guns on that but that's another thing that i've kind of been like whom I would definitely have a session like that and it would be fine as long as, you know, one of them, the strength emphasis, maybe one's a capacity emphasis. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's not going like to three rep max on both of them. Mm. Um, but that's something that on, on, and I've got a mentorship coming up this year where hopefully we do a bit more in-depth work. And yeah. I think it's good, good to challenge that sort of stuff because like with the rotational work, I challenged it and they actually kind of changed my mind on it. So it was beneficial to me. Um, so yeah, I think I'm looking forward to that later on. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's great to hear that because I did the I did the level one when it was athletes' performance, like yeah, two thousand and ten or eleven or something, and um, and it was all chops and lifts, and it was all yeah. chop pattern, lift pattern, and and it was like it was a cool week. It was a whole week intensive, and it was great fun. Um, and I, I I learned. Do you know what I learned about that? I learned the value of getting organized. I looked at it and I was like this is mustard because it's all in a row it's all it all makes sense you can follow it <laughs> yeah and and it's reproducible mm-hmm. that, that's a big part of why they, they have this like kind of strict framework because they want if you're an athlete going into performance center or googler going from Dublin to America you walk in the gym it's the same thing you get delivered yeah so I think that's yeah. one of those things that when you know if, if someone does come at it with a different lens they probably agree with it, but they're like, this is what we've got. It's been working. It works for general population athletes. Why, why change it? 
Yeah, and I guess as well, it's it's where, you know, some of the athletic off-season stuff, they do need to just replenish the system. They need to do stuff that's nice, that helps the body start talking to each other again, you know, certain body parts yeah. that don't. Um, but do you think working in that system, because you, 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 you know it like the back of your hand, but do you think working in that system has allowed you to ask better questions of other training methodologies? Uh, I'd say yes, because the actual system, I describe it to some other people, it's like it's kind of sound sports science principles packaged in a sexy, American, well-branded way. So it's very easy to agree with everything. And it's not really like, it's not so much, it's not like other training methodologies where it's like, we're doing this, you know, they, they do everything. They just packaged it and designed it in a cool way. Um, and also that paired with going back, talking with you, talking with some of the other coaches you've had on legacy, where they talk about going back to basics more, mm. referring to those old texts that everyone reads in their first couple of years. Um, it makes you kind of look at those other training methodologies that some people really hang their hat on and use to define their whole career yeah. as like, you know, they've got, they've gotten lost in that where mm -hmm. it, it's maybe more like, okay, I want to look at the benefits of different things. What suits this individual and apply it to them and not just be like, I'm doing these four training blocks for everyone. It's just yeah. in different weights, the different movements based on their sports. So mm -hmm. I would say the exos um, working exos help with that, but more so conversations with yourself and, and coaches you've had on the podcast that reinforce that same thing. Coaches that have been mm. in a long time before social media, um, they really go back to those core principles, which helps you just navigate and and stay true to your own coaching philosophy. I think the yeah. exosystem would be good for a young coach to go through because you learn a really effective training system. Um, mm. And it's not too directed at, we just do this type of training. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think if you just were in that system, you might not have that creativity that can help make your job fun for you and fun for individuals that you work with. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's a great summary. That's a great summary. And then so obviously you get the best of both worlds with the Google stuff. And I love that you call them Googlers. That was brilliant. That's so good. Yeah, there's lots of terminology around that here. What's the, what's you, the best you, 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 you got Nooglers, new Googlers. My favorite, because uh, I've, I've got Jewish, her Jewish heritage, Jooglers. 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 That's like a community here. Um that's a you, know, you wouldn't call someone that, but that's a community. People like you know, if you're Jewish and you're Googler, they they they, yeah. they have events, they have events and stuff. And then another another phrase is being googly. Like we've got signs next to our iPads in the gym <laughs> for people to put on googly music. And being googly is uh, is basically just not offending people. Yeah. Um, which is like you know, not putting on death metal. You put on rock. If you put on death metal, there's probably going to be work language in there that someone's going to get offended yeah. by. Um, so that's yeah. another funny, funny phrase that gets thrown around here. So we've got Googler, Noogler, Jugler, and being yeah. Googly. Being Googly, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so so what, what are you called at Google then? <laughs> uh, GFIT is what our brand is called because any vendor Google has, they rebrand it internally. So yeah. you wouldn't be like, I'm an Exos coach, you're, you're GFIT coach. You're a GFIT um, coach. But maybe we that's need to come up with our own kind of like, yeah yeah i'll think on it <laughs> needs to be like i don't know needs it obviously has to be oogle something yeah it's got a sound oogle. it's got a sound good as well I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll have a have a think we're not going to butcher that right now on the podcast no. um no. <laughs> so, so 
I completely forgot the question I was going to ask. It was actually really good. I surprised myself. The okay, so so with the rowing, so with the rowing, and you you have the the balance of both. And yeah, and I, that's think, what you I think yeah, I think it's a real rite of passage for 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 coaches. My first client was my mum, so being able to to tread both lines, I think, has really worked. Like you speak so well for your, for your experience and 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 what your fundamentals are but how do you how do you navigate going from turning off because turning off being a gfit coach and then turning on being max uh head of snc at the rowing club i guess it's the the way i'd, I'd be behaving in the google environment it's more of like a nurturing coach environment mm-hmm. where you're you know i'm trying to make the gym accessible for people that maybe have been intimidated by the gym their whole life. They only come to the gym because they're in a class and they're like, they've got a coach guiding them. So it's very much making things not scary, making things not intimidating, not letting them get into the barbell straight away, getting them used to like body weight and dumbbells and, and generally just the language you use, like encouraging people, but not shouting um, yeah. straight away. Cause some people might get intimidated by that. They don't know me right away, things like that. So generally like more of a nurturing kind of relaxed environment. Google is that come, that I see all the time and I know they're strong, I'll push them, but I yeah. won't apply. I'll like, you know, I'll get them hyped up, but I'm not then going to turn to someone that's brand new. Who's like, you know, as soon as I say a, a word of what the exercise we're doing, they just look completely confused for them. And I'll take them aside, you know, walk them through the session and generally like that at, you know, it's so on the boat club, you're going to be, you know, it's generally just more intense straight away, mm-hmm. more strict as well. Let less yeah. things slide in terms of technique. Let this thing slide in terms of um, how we run through the gym. If they're talking, when I'm talking, having more rules in place. And um, I, I, I would say I am a more laid back coach. I think that's helped make this environment at that boat club with individuals that have become, that I enjoy lifting more, but yeah. definitely more laid back at Google than I would be at University of London. Um, mm. And call, calling people out more, yep. like in front of everyone, you know, because mm-hmm. they're a team, they train together a lot of them respond well to that. They want to be told when they're doing something wrong. They want to be told bluntly um, mm. and straight straight away. Like I've had people at the bugger tell me that. Whereas at, at Google, if you told someone that's, you know, that's bad, do this. They'd be like, oh my God, the coach, you know, verb. it wasn't Googly to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely a different style. And I get a, a lot more energy from that University of London Boat Club where you've yeah. got a big group around you, especially late in the season where they know how they should be lifting and they kind of run the session their own. You're there just to kind of, you're there just instructing. How did that feel? How, what, what are we doing this week with your rowing? How are we going to edit that? You're kind of more of a manager of the gym yeah. at that point. Early in the season, you're very much on the floor coaching, especially when there's freshers. Um, mm. And then in the Google setting, you're very much coaching and making sure people know what to do. As yeah. well as way less autonomy at Google. Okay. They a lot of them don't know much about the gym, and they don't want to be given choices. Really, if I say we're doing eight yeah. to twelve, they'll go, "No, I, not eight to twelve. How many am I doing not on the rep?" That's a that's or, a variance of four. You're ruining my mind. <laughs> exactly. Or it's a squat variation. They're like, "Hang on, wait, what?" So they just don't know. Where I like doing that with with individuals to let them pick and choose what suits their body. So there's definitely more autonomy and in, in the boat club thing. Yeah, I think it's so good. It's still working with different type of people. Some people just need like you're doing do eight. Yeah, that's it. Do they'll, eight. Be, what, they'll be like, what weight? And it's like, I don't even know you, but I, you, they want a number as well for the weights. Because some people need it. And that's that's how they go on that journey. 
of mm. uh, of 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 autonomy. They they need yeah. that that big helicopter. Do this; it's going to be okay. And that comes back to the trust in you yeah. that you're going to give them the right. They're going to, they're giving you that. And then at the end of it, the other side of it, which I think is brilliant, is that you're you're letting go of all of that because they still do believe in you. That you're saying you've earned the right or you're on this journey. And as you say, like rowing, elite level rowing is, is, isn't really talked about a lot. Um, and also the physical preparation for it. And so what have you kind of found are the big sort of dragons that you've got to slay in the rowing game to keep people healthy? Oh yeah. So keeping people healthy, uh, it's going to be really focused around the trunk. I mean, the two main injuries that keep people out the boat are rib stress fractures and lower back issues okay. the rib stress fractures are non-contact rib stress fractures seen in rowing and cycling long long periods spent breathing heavily in poor posture is what contributes to that so like the, the intercostal muscles muscles pulling on the rib cage for incredibly long periods of time lead to fractures on the ribs often also linked to individuals that are not are poor with their nutrition so females that have developed reds um or, or male and females that are just lightweight rowers generally will get uh, more rib stress fractures and it can keep you out of the boat like your ribs if anyone breaks a rib there's nothing you can do you just, you just have to rest and breathing hurts so you can't even do proper cardio you can't even do proper weight so it really is a big issue around that we'll look at thoracic mobility hip mobility ankle mobility so when they're going into the catch or um that's like when you're picking up you know deep in that flex position on the boat or on the erg are they able to have a more upright torso create more room for the lungs to move mm, that can mm. be one thing we look at um, and then on top of that, just general core strength to help support that upright posture. So, you know, that's a really big part of, of our testing. If we're going to do any testing, we would probably scrap the strength testing and just do our trunk holds off the edge of a bench. And that's something that we do at the beginning of every strength session. We hammer that in because otherwise people won't do it. And that's something that will really keep them healthy. And, you know, men, if, if you've ever done these trunk holds, imagine you're doing, you're sat on the edge of a bench, someone's sitting on your legs. Men especially need to be able to hold um, that position for two minutes at least, which is super challenging. Um, wow. And then a, pro a back extension hold, you're looking at three minutes as like the level you need to get to. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, a lot of them who will have bad backs will actually get three minutes on that. So that they use their back all the time, but then their lateral cores are really weak or the anterior yeah. cores are really weak. So there are interesting um, like, you know, circumstances in that where you're like, hang on, their back's crazy strong. Why are they always hurting their back? Yeah. Um, and then around the lower back, um, in terms of in the gym, what we can do is just choosing options that don't aggravate it too much because they'll often row and straight away come to the gym or the other way around. So it's like, mm -hmm. how can we how can we get strong in the lower back and in surrounding hip musculature without overstressing it? So we do they're yeah. tall, they're really tall. So we do lots of elevated deadlifts, trap by deadlifts. They'll pull from the ground, um, but like you know, keeping lots of reps in the tank so they don't overdo it lots of box squats and then single leg squats as well help mm -hmm. kind of load the legs, but offload the back a bit. Yeah. Cause I guess there's there's so much in there. I think there's a whole another podcast in that, but the dry land stuff for, for rowing. But if I was to ask you kind of like, what's the one thing that you're going to do to increase someone's stroke power? Uh, well, something we've added in was into SNC was doing a complex of heavy squat with seven stroke peak power which is a test normally um yeah. it's something that that came when we were talking about uh monitoring for rowing and having a specific power measure in there 
that is one of the uh, tests people will do in research that correlates with 2K performance. And it's one of the tests that strength training correlates well with. So it was like a no-brainer to add it into our gym sessions. One, the hype around that in the gym is insane. you got to get yeah. on, the heavy, on the big guys. People are holding the erg down. People are screaming because they're pulling so hard. We've got loads of guys now going over a thousand watts on that, which is, you know, one guy was getting that. Now there's loads of like kind of skinny guys getting it. Loads of women getting um, 600 or above, which is a good level. And that's just from doing it once a week. So that'll be something we add in for sure. And as, although it's, it's essentially a type of rowing, that's a really good power um, yeah. movement that's going to translate hopefully to good start performances. And just in a, a month, we've seen people break a thousand watts consistently that just weren't doing that before. Um, and then I would say in terms of like a classical weight room movement, just being really proficient at squatting yeah. because the, the bottom of the, of the catch is you need to, you need to be able to compress all those joints, have power there and be comfortable down there. Um, and yeah. that's led me, like I've chatted to you and the legacy team about a special strength assessment for rowing being potentially being the overhead squat. You need yeah. really good thoracic strength and strength around the rib cage but then you also need lower body mobility to be able to squat low. So that's something that next season I'll look to add in and figure out what, what weights uh, align with the healthy and high performing rowers and then use that to determine, okay, on the program, we need to be doing overhead squats with this percentage body weight or something. Because I could see that being a good special strength exercise that isn't used in rowing that much because classically they're tall, not very mobile. You hear a lot of coaches go, no, we don't do anything overhead because they're rowers. Like that doesn't suit their anatomy. Um, and they are actually really bad overhead, so it seems like quite an, an easy rock to to start hitting. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. I love that. But um, that's all we got time for, unfortunately. I could have kept going, but I've got to go to yeah. the meeting. Um, <laughs> but thank you, thank you so much for that. I really enjoyed that, and hopefully, everyone listening, you can you can just hear the knowledge bombs coming out of uh, of this guy today. And so, Max, if people want to reach out to you and learn more about noogling jugling whatever <laughs> or and rowing because you you can tell you're an incredibly intelligent guy um how can they get hold of you sure so um instagram and linkedin probably the two best places to hit me up full name so a bit of a long one they have to look on this on the podcast i'll put it in the notes yeah maximilian honigsbaum i always go by max but it's the full full shebang for that right. so uh, you, you can find me on there Cool. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm sure people will be reaching out. Um, and everyone, just as we close it, remember, get to the Legacy Showcase on August 5th. It's going to blow your bloody doors off. Make sure you get my book because some of the money is going to get people sleeping on the street, not on the streets anymore. And if you don't even like speed, that's still a good cause to, to slap a donation in. So that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, uh, Max. I've been Sam Portland and you've been Max. I'll see you later. Awesome. Thank you.